You're just to do as you're told. As I thought I trained you for 18 years. This is a very special moment because of the decision that Harriet has made to leave the college here and to proceed to another special interest that she has had for years, which is world missions. And it's a very real privilege for me to be able to share in this because this woman has meant so much to the college and uh, we've known her in so many different capacities that we want to share just a little of that. Harriet is a, a Japanese-American, of course, as you have known well, but an American, first of all, very definitely so. In fact, one time she told me when she got off a plane in Tokyo, she looked out the window of the plane and thought to herself, look at all those funny-looking people. <laughs> she has been a very well-balanced and strong commitment to the world in which we live. Uh, Harriet was just a little girl when the Second World War broke out, and her family, which was largely Roman Catholic, was relocated, and in the providence of God, she, was, she landed in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and was led to Christ in the Garfield Avenue Baptist Church there. In due time, they made their way back to Seattle, and she came under the ministry of Dr. Forrest Johnson of Tabernacle Baptist Church there. Dr. Johnson had an enormous influence in her life. And uh, then as she grew and participated in the church, she went to work as a businesswoman in, the, in a savings and loan there. And at about the age of 35, I had met her periodically, but it was through a friend of hers, Roland Hebe, you remember, and Dr. Johnson's support for the idea that she considered coming down here. When I think of the work that she has done, I think of a couple of scriptures. One of them is familiar to you, I'm sure, when we think of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And I think that Harriet has illustrated that better than almost anyone that I know. But in another way, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, but he wants to illustrate a, an attitude from the Macedonians. And he says a number of things in the chapter, but particularly this. They did not do as we expected but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You know, we talk about dedication and commitment and uh, use that sort of language, but it's rather indistinct sometimes unless you have it fleshed out in people that you know. It seems to me, as I've been reflecting on this the last few days, thinking about this particular moment, that Harriet Ishi has illustrated the idea of commitment better than almost anyone. Now, there are an awful lot of dedicated and committed people in this institution. 
But I think that over the years, there, it would be hard to compete with the investment of life that this lady has made. She committed her way to the Lord. And she committed her way to the teaching of the Word of God in a gospel-preaching church. She committed herself to be a witness in her large family. She committed herself eventually to this institution and has given her life to it. She has given her time, her energy, her tremendous abilities She's given her kitchen to it. She's given her automobile to it. She's been a chaperone for gospel teams. She's attended practically every sports event and music event and social event and whatever. It has been her entire life. And only the Lord is able to compute what it has meant to this school to have Harriet Ishi here. We just thank the Lord for her, Harriet, all the time and pray the Lord's blessing upon you as, you as you proceed. Now, here's a plaque that is being given to her, presented to Harriet Ishi in commemoration of 23 years of sacrificial service to Los Angeles Baptist College and the Master's College, John MacArthur, President, James Rickard, Chairman of the Board, April 2, 1990. May the Lord be with you. I think you'll have to cease and desist because she will not sing. And uh, there are three students who have been asked to give a word of appreciation to Harriet. Uh, Lisa King, Julie Drew, and Lauren Jones. Would they please come forward at this time? Um, today, I just want to share a few things that I really appreciate about Harriet. Um, I worked for Harriet for the last year until December when uh, they gave notice that they were leaving. And um, she's been a real inspiration to me. Um, just her desire to know the Word of God. I can see that every day when I went into work, there was always something that she had to share or, you know, something new and exciting to share. And I think that helped to make her um, the role model that she is. Um, I saw a real desire to share the love of Christ with others. Um, just through her giving spirit, she's a real servant. Um, and you can see that in everything that she does. Um, she loved people unconditionally. And I appreciate that about you. You really showed me how to love people unconditionally. Um, and knowing the Lord, I see a real joy in her heart. It's new and exciting every day. And um, I see that she wants to share that with people that don't know the Lord. And just as they're moving on, I, that's what she wants to do. So, um, Harriet, you've taught me much, um, a lot about life, um, about loving people, and just being all that I can be for the Lord. And I thank you for that. Um, 
I thank the Lord for bringing us um, together for a little while to work together. Um, and as you leave, I pray um, that the Lord will bid you good and um, know that we'll miss you, but we'll be praying for you. I can't see all that mushy stuff, but <laughs> Harriet, I like you. Uh, well, I remember the fun times that, you know, we had. We had a lot of fun together going down to Pace Club and stuff like that. Or I'd go up to the office up there and I'd say, Harriet, tell John McCarthy to get itself out here now. <laughs> and she would get on the telephone and she'd go to the door and no one was in there and I knew that. And she, and she'll say, well, Lauren, he wants to see you. And I'll go right to the door. And I say, what happened? And, but we had so much fun together. <laughs> we she was always happy whenever I came up there, even when I was feeling down, you know. You could always talk to her. She's like, she's like a mother, you know, even though she's a Japanese and I'm black. But... <laughs> She was like a mother, and, you know, she was always willing to help someone else out. And um, whenever I needed help out on the baseball field, selling hot dogs or doing whatever, she would always say, Lauren, what can I do to help out? Or do you want me to go to Pace Club, you know, to buy something for um, the concession stand? And a lot of times I couldn't go. You know, she was always willing to go, and she always said, well, you can use my car or whatever. And um, she... <laughs> This is dumb, but I used to like to go up there because she had candy also. <laughs> she always had candy on her desk, and you know sometimes how your breath is. And, and I always, before I, before I go to class, I just go up there and get a piece of candy. She always wanted to know, how you doing? How's Brian? You know, how your class is going? She's just like a mother to us. And I just want to tell you I love you and I appreciate you. Harry and I met about four years ago when I started the school here as a freshman. Um, a girlfriend and I wanted to learn more about what it meant to pray, and so we had heard that Harriet had a reputation for that and that she was a woman of prayer. And so one day, Kevin and I went up into her office and asked if she would be willing to spend time with us and just pray with us. And so she, you know, offered her services to us. And so we would come every week. And in that time, it was just a really neat time um, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that uh, it's a really weird thing when you meet someone that can understand you without really even having to talk to them. Um, not that that's like a mystical thing or anything, but I believe that Harriet really walks with the Lord. And uh, Kebra and I always used to joke about that. If she wasn't there that day and I had gone, I'd say, oh, Kebra, you just missed it. The woman just was walking with God today. And it was just such a ministry to us because I would go and different things would be happening in my life that week or whatever. And she would just share what she had been learning in the word that day. And it was just like, how did she know? How did she know? That's what I need to hear. And I would leave just so blessed. I can't ever remember a time leaving not being blessed by her. And I really feel privileged to be able to even honor Harriet, because I know that there's so many people out there who have been blessed by her, and probably the majority of you, and that any of you could get up here and share. And I'm just really thankful. I really do feel privileged to to express that to you. Um, 
every time when Gail was asking me to share and said, every time I thought about what I was going to say, all I thought about was Proverbs 31 when it says, um, and her children will rise up and bless her. And in a real way, I really feel like we're her children. And in a real way, I feel like I'm your, your daughter in a different sense, you know. And um, I do bless you for your strength and for your diligence and for for smiling at the future. I really see that in her life. I don't see a whole lot of fear in her going. I don't see a whole lot of fear in her going to Russia for that matter. But just the joy and the the understanding of knowing that when you're in the center of God's will, there's nothing more exciting than that. And I just see her as a testimony of that. Um, You have been such a dear friend to me, Harriet. I'm going to miss you so much. And um, I really do feel like my years here have been greatly blessed and enriched in that um, when I think about my years here, that you you are one of the first things that come to my mind. And I'm really think, thankful for you as a friend and as an example of what it really means to really love people. And there's something else, just something that I realized this week in thinking about, Harriet. Um, we were talking about how as you go on in life, you learn things that God has taught you. And sometimes, you know, you meet people and they get older and they don't appear to to be able to share with you that they are still learning, that they are still growing or whatever. And the other day she just said something to me. She was, man, Lisa, I just see how I still need to grow and there's still areas in which, and it was just so sincere and so real. And that just meant the world to me that she has not in her mind arrived, but that she knows that God still is perfecting her and, and changing her until the day she dies. And I'm just really thankful for that encouragement that you don't ever arrive. And I just really am thankful for your servant heart and I love you so much. to uh, say a, a word to Harriet. There are so many things I could say. Um, she has made a tremendous contribution over these years, even though I'm not here that often, because there's so much that I need to be responsible for that I'm not here to do that it falls on her shoulders. Um, one scripture that comes to mind, Harriet, First uh, Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 and following, I want you to be free from concern, Paul says. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how she may please the Lord. One who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please, in this case, her husband. And her interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. One who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And I've always been thankful that the Lord has brought into my life through the years single people who have undistracted devotion to the Lord. And we've already heard that about Harriet, and I only confirm that that is true, that people who are single and who have that undistracted devotion to the Lord are useful beyond people who are married. Now, obviously, some of us... God is designed to be married. That's within the plan of God. But those unique people that God raises up who are single and can give their life in undistracted devotion to the Lord serve at a level that a married person can't serve at because of that total devotion. And so I I just acknowledge, Harriet, that uh, not only do I appreciate you as a person, but I'm thankful to God that when he designed you, he made you a person who could be undistracted distracted in devotion to him because all of us have benefited tremendously from that 
So we all love you and we're going to miss you. But uh, we commend you to that purpose which God has set before you. And uh, I know all of us uh, are going to send you off with our encouragement and our prayers. Thank you, Harriet. I first met Harriet in the fall of 1973 when I came out from Ohio to be business manager of the college. And as I think over the 17 years that Harriet has been here, there's one word that comes to my mind that's loyal. She has been loyal to the college. She has been a friend to the administration, to the board, to the staff, to the faculty, to most all you students. And one of the sad things about her leaving is that the new students coming to the college will not get to know Harriet Ishii like you have gotten to know Harriet Ishii. And that's going to be their loss because she is a very, very special gal. So on behalf of the administration of the college, Harriet, I'd like to give you this token of our appreciation. I think this check will help you a little bit to get started in your new venture there in Detroit, Michigan. And God bless you. Lord bless you in every way. I've enjoyed your ministry and your fellowship and your relationship and your hard work. And God bless you in the days ahead. Okay? Means, that means sit down in Japanese. <laughs> Shortly after I was saved, I was, uh, my pastor told me to read through the Bible, and so that's what I did. And I just read, kept on reading, starting in Genesis and just reading through. And I came across a verse in uh, 1 Samuel 12:23, and it said, Only fear the Lord and serve him with all your heart, for consider what great things he had done for you. And that became instantly my life verse. Mm -hmm. And so that's, um, I just, that verse has been the most precious to me. And I thank you. Uh, I've had many, many happy memories here. And I just go knowing that it is the will of God for me to take on this new adventure before he takes me home to heaven. Thank you. Thank you, Harriet. Yeah. <laughs> Harriet is off to uh, Detroit soon, I think, to live there and to uh, continue her assistant ministry so nobly given to Bob Provost in his ministry. And now we turn for a few moments to Bob, and I think it's fitting to have his dear wife, Luetta, stand. Luetta, we need to thank you for your tremendous ministry to us all. Thank you. Your daughter has some flowers there for you. And we have the privilege of having Bob's mom, Mrs. Dorothy Provost. Would you stand up as well? Thank you. Thank you. We uh, have had the tremendous benefit of Bob's leadership for five years. I would never have accepted the responsibility of being president. The college wouldn't be what it is today at all if it hadn't been for him. Uh, he was God's man, and we were very, very, very blessed to have been given his leadership. At this point, uh, as you well know, his role is changing. 
We're excited that he will maintain his connection with our college in a very vital way. As Vice President for International Education, he will be relocating in Detroit under the auspices of SEND International to get into the creative access countries of our world that are still somewhat closed to the gospel, primarily focusing on Russia and Eastern Europe. But uh, we're really thrilled when Bob came to me and said, uh, this is what my salary is for the mission. This is what the established salary is to be. Uh, we shared that with the executive committee of the college and then with the board of directors, and the college uh, is going to be taking care of his salary. So he will continue to be an employee uh, in that sense, although a, a missionary in the fullest sense. We're very excited. Uh, I don't know if colleges support missionaries, but maybe we'll start a trend. So we uh, will do that. Grace Community Church also is involved because I wanted to know from Bob what the amount of his of his support would be in terms of ministry support. You have to have salary and then ministry support. And the total of all of this, I think, is somewhere around seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year so that he can live and also do all of his travel all over the world and all of his mission work. And I presented it to the elders of Grace Community Church and uh, and the Grace Community Church is going to take up his ministry support. So between the college and the seminary, we are taking on both his personal salary for he and his family and his ministry support. And we're very, very excited to have a part in what we believe is going to be a very strategic mission enterprise uh, led by a very gifted and very capable man. And we are deeply indebted to him and want to maintain uh, the, the future relationship as strongly as we possibly can. Bob, you know how much we love you. I don't want to belabor that point. I do want to give you a plaque which expresses something of what we all feel. Presented to Robert W. Provost, who served diligently and faithfully as the first executive vice president of the Master's College, you modeled a heart for missions. May 1985 to December 1989, John MacArthur James Rickard, April 2nd, 1990. Thank you. We've asked Bob to give us a report, an update on what's happening in terms of his trip and what the Lord is doing. Thanks, brother. Well, it, it truly... Uh, it has been an incredibly wonderful five years that the Lord has given to, to me and my family to be here at the college, at Grace Community Church, and to a degree involved with the seminary. Uh, I, um, I, I don't like these kind of uh, days. Uh, I appreciate this, but I, I had thought that, that if I, the Lord would allow me to stay involved, and he is, in my new capacity, that that I would forego one of these uh, going away deals, you know. Uh, I really appreciate it, but but it's I'd, I, let's look to the future together. I really do appreciate it, but let's look to the future together. Let's think about how God might want to use all of us together. We surely are in the end times, surely are in the end times. And these trips that I've been privileged now to make to the Soviet Union and some other Eastern European countries, uh, it's just I, I'm going to get a video camera, hopefully maybe this week by Thursday, uh, so that this next trip I'll be able to capture it in a way that, that maybe for us we can show some of it in chapel because there's just no way uh, that I can begin to tell you about a spiritual hunger that we have never seen in this country, at least in this century. 
You can't imagine country after country where the most sought after item is the word of God, where they have been systematically taught systematically. I mean, the universities in these countries have departments called scientific atheism. You can major in scientific atheism. And very much like we embrace all the rest of our curriculum with Bible, they embrace the rest of their curriculum with scientific atheism. And that has been taught that way for nearly 70 years. And where the word of God has been taught as a fairy tale, referred to as a fairy tale, and where they have been taught that there is no God, there is no doubt the greatest interest in the Lord and the greatest interest in his word anywhere on this planet. God is not mocked. And you could say that I have seen the gates of hell in all these places, and they are down, they are broken, they are gone. As Jesus had said to Peter, the gates of hell shall not prevail. I will build my church. And he has been building his church steadily, quietly, most assuredly in all of these countries. I went into Czechoslovakia this last time and and I had, as soon as I got into the main square, the reason I'm pausing, I don't know if I have five minutes or 20 or six, how much? To do? Ten minutes? Is that what you're holding? Ten? Okay. Okay, I, I already, did I already take five of them? Okay. Sorry. That's, you, know, you get time conscious, you know, and you don't want to abuse that privilege. And, and so I, I came into the, to the city, capital city of Prague, Czechoslovakia. And one of the first things I saw were, I, was a huge sign that said, it's over, checks are free. And I began to notice. This sign was in English. That's how I could read it. I began, I began to notice the happiest people I have ever seen in my life. Happy because they were free for the first time in their lives. They were out, able to walk around and not be concerned someone was watching or someone would turn them in for something. They were standing in line for ice cream cones and standing in line to buy waffles with, with whipped cream, uh, cream on them. And opportunity to meet with Christians there. And one particular evening I was in a, a city in Czechoslovakia and there was a snowstorm underway. And I had a map, and I was trying to find a particular Baptist church, and I was walking. And often in, in the communist cunt, countries and cities, uh, often consistently, really, the buildings are broken down, they haven't been painted, and often street signs are missing. So you have a map, and you know which street you're trying to find, but when you get there, there's no sign, and so you don't really know where you are anyway. Uh, and so I... It was about 10 minutes till 6, and I trusted that there would be a church service at 6, and I knew I was in the neighborhood, and so I decided, now, what can I do? How can I find this church? And I decided I'll, I'll watch and see if I can see some people who look like they're in church clothes and walking, and I'll walk up to one of them. And anywhere I've been in the world, I've never heard anyone translate the word Baptist. The word Baptist is seemingly never translated. That's very helpful be, because of what I'm going to say. So I walked up to these two ladies, and I said, Baptist. That's all I said. Baptist. Right. I didn't know how to say hi. I didn't know how to say anything. I said Baptist. And they hugged me. <laughs> now, they were older ladies. I want you to know. OK. And they kind of hugged me on each arm and they whisked me away to take me to church with them. And I knew they were all excited. They were going to get an American saved, you know. Uh, and, and we walked into the church and and coming towards me about 10 feet away, there was a man and he cried out to me in English. Now, remember, no one knew I was in this country. No one knew I was in that city. No one knew who I was in the whole country. 
And this man from about 10 paces yelled out to me, are you from Grace Community Church? And I went like this, whoa, how could you know that? How could you possibly know that? And he said, oh, that's easy. He said, it's the only church in America I've ever heard of. That's the kind of an influence that Grace Community Church has around the world. Okay. When I went to Hungary, I was greeted at the, at the train station by a young man. Some of you may know him, a graduate of the Master's Seminary named Paul Held. Okay. He's one of the first, one of the first missionaries, one of the very first into the communist country of Hungary. He's been there about a year and a half, and he's mastered the language. And I was with him when he witnessed. He witnessed very effectively in the Hungarian language, which is considered one of the toughest languages in the world. He's having a great ministry there in Budapest, Hungary. Then I, I went to Romania. Romania went through a horrible, bloody revolution back in December. They say that history will record that, that their dictator, Ceausescu, will be considered so brutal that he makes Hitler look like a schoolboy. And I learned about many of the atrocities, and, and, and I stood in areas where people were mowed down by machine gun fire, and I met people who told me about what it was like to be there, about picking up their, their college-age friends and, and putting their bodies in the trunks of cars with the feet hanging out and running off to the hospital, hoping to get there in time. Thousands and thousands died for their freedom, for the freedom that they have now. A young man that the Lord put in my sleeping compartment on the train became my host for a couple of days. He took me to a cemetery, took me to a cemetery there in Bucharest. And on a Friday night, a cemetery with thousands of fresh new graves, no grass even, fresh new graves, thousands of them, and, and electric cords hanging up and, and light bulbs hanging down because so many people wanted to come, parents wanted to come because they were nearly all people your age. graves of their sons and daughters who had given their lives in this revolution back in December. And I looked at the little crosses, and they had pictures. They looked like your faces. They looked like us over there, you know. And then their birth dates. And, so they, and, I, and I look at one and think that could have been Todd, and that could have been Rob, and that could have been Mary Beth. How we take our freedom for granted that God has given us for centuries here in America. And how little we really take advantage of it. What price freedom for many people in the world. And then they took me to a, a demonstration day, this young... And I, my host was a pagan, a guy who hasn't come to Christ yet. His name is Catalan, if you want to pray for his salvation. I'm sending him Bibles and materials. And he took me to this political demonstration. And there were thousands demonstrating in front of the new government building because even in their new provisional government, it's filled with communists. It's filled with communists. And, and there were military people there, officers, Air Force and Army of the Romanian forces, and they were demonstrating peacefully because they didn't want to have a secretary of defense who was also a communist. And so this young man decided it would be interesting for me to interview these Army and Air Force officers, and he would translate and to ask them why they're demonstrating and so on. I find them, find them to be gentle and articulate and considerate, beautiful people. I began to wonder, could these be Christians? And then a huge crowd formed around us because of the novelty of me being an American. Just a couple of months earlier, if, if a citizen there had been seen talking to any foreigner, he would have been whisked away to prison just because he talked to a foreigner. And so for this crowd to see a foreigner, this, so this crowd, hundreds, perhaps a thousand people crowded up around me just because I was an American to hear what I was saying. And so I saw this huge crowd. And I thought, boy, the Lord has given me this incredible audience. I better try to say something spiritually. 
spiritual. And so I raised my voice and through this translator and I said, we're thankful to God that he's given you this wonderful new freedom. And we're sympathetic with why you're here this evening. But I'm constrained to say to you that the answer to your problems is not going to be found in democracy. It can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ. And a man deep, deep in the crowd yelled out in English, Mr. What you said is true. And then someone else yelled out, why have you come to our country? And I said, I've come to help your churches. And then someone said, can you get us Bibles? Another one said, we need Bibles all across this country. Another one yet, Bibles, can you get us Bibles? This was in the midst of a political demonstration. Okay. I close with a very quick assessment of the status of the church in Romania. There are more than a thousand churches, more than a thousand evangelical churches, only 125 pastors trying to trying to shepherd. Each pastor has eight or ten churches. Talk about a need for a seminary, okay? Then there are more than a hundred churches that are praying every Sunday that God will send them someone to read the scriptures, not even a pastor. Because no one can read. They're out in villages and they've been deprived of education. And they're just praying that God would send someone who could read the scriptures to them. And there's one church where there's a lady gets up every Sunday morning in her pew and she reads a passage from scripture. And then a man gets up in the pulpit, a man who cannot read. And he gets up and he tries to explain what the woman has read from the word of God. We have the treasure. We have the treasure. You're here at this incredible institution. I was just saying to Don Hescott this morning, I'm so glad Mary Beth can stay here. I'm so thankful that my children could come to school here. What God is giving you in the way of education here is unparalleled in all the world. There is no school like the Master's College. There is no school like the Master's College, even in America. And in these countries now that are opening up, there are now over 400 million people that are accessible to the gospel that a year ago were not accessible. Incredible. My prayer is that God would raise up many of you to come with Harriet and, and with me to Eastern Europe, to the Soviet Union, and even to China as God opens the doors. Thank you, all of you, for the privilege of, of being a part of the Master's College family. May God bless you richly. Amen. Thank you, Bob. It's encouraging to know how many students we'll have out this summer. Um, if you're going out this summer in any capacity uh, around the world, raise your hand. We have over 120 of us again this summer, 140 last summer. So the mission's emphasis continues to run so strong and so deep. And we thank you, Bob, for bringing that here and teaching us how to love the world and pray for the world. And I think it's exciting. It's amazing to see the Lord take from our midst uh, Dr. Provost and... Miss Ishii, to go do work of salvation in other parts of the world. And yet, just Friday, I think it was, or Thursday, two young ladies came to my office and had a wonderful report about what was God was doing as of so much as salvation right here on our own campus. And I've asked each of them to come, and if you will right now, come on up. And I want you as a student body to hear that our God is saving people, not just in Africa, and in Eastern Europe, but he is saving people in our dorm rooms. So, Diana, I'll ask you to go first. Um, Rachel is just going to share her testimony, and I just want to um, 
thank God that I have the privilege of um, being a part of it and um, just seeing God work in her life. It's just tremendous. And I just want to say that we do have an awesome God. And I just ask you to just listen to Rachel and her testimony of what happened to her last week and just encourage her and just be in support of her and just pray for her. Hi. Um... It might come as a surprise to a lot of you, not to all of you, because um, I haven't exactly been able to keep it to myself. But it was not until last Thursday, around 20 minutes past four, that I finally gave my life to Jesus Christ and became a Christian. If I fooled a lot of you, well, I guess it just shows how easy it is to do it. I was listening to Dr. MacArthur speak yesterday in my first church service as a Christian, it was me. And I heard he was talking on First Thessalonians 2 and he was talking, he was introducing it and talking about how Thessalonian church was so eager for Christ. There were the Jews who had so much opportunity, were so rich, yet they were the ones who were persecuting the Christians and I thought of my own life. I was born just before my father became ordained to be a minister. When I was about one year old, my dad was in his first church. I'm sitting in my mother's lap listening to him preach and I shriek out Bible at the top of my voice and that was the first word I ever said. When I was three and a half, I was sitting in my living room on my, on my father's lap watching him read this great big book and I listened to him and I looked at all the funny little things on the book and I spelled out G-O-D and I said, God, that was the first word I ever read. And I guess you can believe my parents thought I was about the most super spiritual baby since John the Baptist. <coughs> but that wasn't exactly true. I remember when I was rather young, about six or seven, feeling guilty for something I'd done and telling my parents and praying a prayer. But I know for some that happens and it's real and I, I'm very envious of you to live your life when you're very young and be a Christian, but for me that wasn't the case. When um, we moved to Australia for the second time, it's kind of complicated, but I'll make it short. I was 11 years old. Life had already been very difficult. If any of you are PKs, you might know that being a PK isn't very easy. And um, we did not have much money. My mother was often sick. It just seemed as if my parents were working so hard for the Lord. Why wasn't? Why didn't it look like he was blessing us? So I go to Australia, I go to several schools and I finally settle in a very elite girls Presbyterian school, nominally Presbyterian, not really very serious. And um, I make friends, I'm a novelty because I'm partly American, but uh, they do things and say things and after a while I'm living two lives. At school, I'm a rather loudmouth American can say funny things, not many of them decent. Um, the older I got, the more bolder I got about lying to my parents about where I was going, who I was going with. By the time I was a senior, my final year last year, I was going to parties, drinking, falling out with my boyfriend, basically being a very typical unsaved teenager. I'd go to a party, get tipsy, go to my friend's house to spend the night. That's what I'd do so I wouldn't have to go home drunk. 
Then I'd wake up and go to church, play the piano, and impress all the old ladies, and they'd call up my parents and tell them what a wonderful Christian girl I was. My parents still don't know. (laughs) They're going to get a real shock. (laughs) I'm not going to tell them everything. Um, But... So why did I come to the Master's College? Well, my parents thought I was a Christian. And in September last year, my dad came out. Um, He's a very, very big admirer of John MacArthur and of his ministry. Um, And he wanted to come out and see about doing a doctorate because um, Australia is so spiritually dead and my dad has worked so hard for no reward that he feels it's time to just come back to where he can be fed and spend his time teaching other preachers to go out and maybe send some of them back. So, and then it was where he heard that John MacArthur was also president of a small Christian college and he comes back and I, he knew that I didn't want to stay in Australia to go to university. Um, but I was thinking of somewhere like UCLA or <clears throat> something a bit more fun. <clears throat> and um, I heard about this little Christian college and I was thinking, you know, well... Christian college, it'll be boring, you know, it's like I'm going to have to fool people 24 hours a day, I'm going to be living with Christians, going to classes with Christians, you know, and I could fool my parents, but my parents love me and they want me to be a Christian, you know, these people, it's not going to be so easy. But then I thought for a while, I thought, you know, being from a girls' school, seeing guys on average of once a month, um, you know, co-ed American college, it could be fun. So I applied and because I'd gone to church twice a week since I was a baby, I knew everything I knew about salvation, justification by faith, election, and I put my testimony on there and my faith is based on Romans 3, this is 23 and 24, somewhere around there. And I came, well, when I got here, I went through WOW and I realized that a lot of you people, you're just like me, but you had a fire for God and a seriousness about the Lord and serving him that I knew I just didn't have. And I heard Russ Moore give his little talk and his distinctives of the college and how he knew there were so many, you know, there were not you know, many that possibly weren't Christians and he just was praying for us and everything. And I was sitting there, I was in the very front row and I was looking at him and I was just kind of backing away going, if he looks at me, I'm going to die. <laughs> and I just, I just, my roommates, I have really neat roommates. I want you to know that. Diana Namura and Angie Welch, Marlis Nui, and Stephanie Struber, to try and act 24 hours a day like a Christian was very hard around them because they just, you can tell everything they do, there's just something within them and I knew I didn't have it, so I began to pray. And I'd sit in chapel and I'd, I'd listen to Bob Provost and I'd listen to John MacArthur and I'd hear people come up and talk about the way God was working in them and I knew it wasn't me. And I, I could, when I came, I could understand, um, I could sing the hymns and the songs and understand them and be happy in them and I could um, listen in chapel and understand the fire people could have and I went to baptisms at night at Grace and they were incredible, the, the testimonies people give. And I wanted to be up there so badly, but I knew that I couldn't until I had been convicted of my sin. So I began to pray. I said, Lord, 
I know I can't do it on my own. Even though I wasn't quite sure that I was even praying to anybody, I didn't even know what God was, whether God was there. I said, Lord, if you're there, you're the only one who can convict me. You need to do everything. I can't do anything. You've got to put people in my life, put things in my life that are going to, that are going to wake me up. And I kept praying this for a while and, and I didn't know whether anything was happening. And so a few days before spring break, about two weeks before spring break, I filled in one of those little green prayer request cards that are in the little boxes and in the pews at Grace Community Church. And I just want to warn you, never fill one of those out unless you want something to happen. <laughs> two days before spring break, I got a phone call from a man named Arthur Ruby. And um, he called me in my dorm room and said, you know, I got you a request, you know, is there anything you'd like me to pray for or talk about? And my roommates were in there and it was like, I couldn't talk on the phone, they were there, they'd know, you know. And so I just said, well, look, I'll, I'll call you over spring break. And I, But then I went to stay with a Christian family called the Shannons, who are another great family from Grace. And I'd had several deep conversations with Donna Shannon and... You know, I'd helped her out with a lot of things that she was worried about. And, of course, so she thought I was Christian. And so I couldn't call him up then. So I kind of, like I'd been doing for the past 18 years, pushed it to the back of my mind and just went on with life, going to work and basically being a non-Christian and coming back and being Christian. So I came back to school. And last Thursday, as I was just beginning to worry that maybe I wasn't ever going to become a Christian, that I was one of those mysterious people who, you know, are not called. I, um, I, you know, election was still, you know, very confusing, but I don't, still don't understand it. Um, I got a call from a guy whose name is Mark. I haven't called him back yet. I hope you can, Dr. MacArthur can tell him or I might call him myself. He just called me up and he said, you know, I just, I just saw this and I want to know how you're going and if there's anything I can help you with. And he began to ask me questions, and Diana and Angie were in my room, but he asked me questions, and I just kept answering them. And I had said on the card that I just didn't know whether I was a Christian, and I was a bit too much of a wimp to actually admit that I wasn't a Christian, you know. And he just, I just kept answering his questions before, you know, I was crying on the phone, and I saw my roommates walk by, but I didn't even care, because I had to get it straight. So... I talked to him for about half an hour, but I was like, I was very confused. One minute, I was thinking about my life back in Australia, and I mean, I enjoyed the things I did, you know, what sinner doesn't. And then I'd think, you know, if God came tomorrow, I wouldn't be going with him. And that really, really scared me. So I got off the phone, and I sit on my bed, and I started to cry again. And um, Di comes and sits with me, and I just told her, I said, I'm so confused, you know, I don't even know whether God is there. How do I know that he's ever going to save me? How do I know that I'm not going to die and I'm Christian? How do I know that, that there is anyone out there? And she said, Di, Rachel, you know, what do you think he's doing to you now? And I just knew that there was a God who loved me in spite of everything I'd done, in spite of the, the hypocrisy of my life. And at 20 minutes past four, I prayed that Jesus Christ is now the Lord of my life. 
I want to apologize if I've upset anybody for fooling them like I did. But if I have, I want to show you just, just how easy it can be. I know for a fact now that there are others like me. And if you're still trying, don't stop. Keep on praying. And even when you think he isn't listening, he's listening, he's doing things that you can't even think of. And so this morning, when I was singing that hymn, and can it be, it was like before I was a Christian, that was still a really neat hymn to be. And there's a verse, there's another verse in it, and it said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and endless night. Mine eyes diffused a quickening ray, arose the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And now, after 18 years, my desire is to serve God. I've read my Bible more in the last couple of days than I think in the rest of my life. I've been praying, and even in the little prayers, God has been answering me almost before I've stopped praying. And he's been continuing to show me that he's there. I'm still really weak. I am. I've been a Christian for less than a week and I'm a lowly freshman. <laughs> so I've got a long, long way to go. So I want to ask you to, to pray for me. Pray for me today. It's not going to be my first day back at work since I've become a Christian. I really want the people I work with to see that even in a few days I've changed, that I'm not living for myself anymore. Pray for me in the next couple of months and in the rest of my life, whether I go back to Australia when I graduate or whatever happens to me, because... The next couple of months are going to be the hardest of all, just for me to... I've got 18 years of hard habits, bad habits to break, and I need all the help I can get. So I'd ask that if you want to talk to me, please do, because the more I talk, the more excited I get. And it's like I don't want to keep this to myself anymore. So that's about it. Let's stand uh, together and close our chapel with a little song.